Well, welcome to this our Sunday message for Sunday the 18th of December 2022. Before we start, I'm just going to say a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it has meant to us in the past, throughout this past year, and what it will continue to mean to us in the years that lie ahead. Thank you that you've provided us with your word. You've given us your Holy Spirit to help us interpret it. You've given us one another to help with understanding. I pray that, Lord, as we discuss your word this morning, we would gain understanding. Our hearts will be enriched. Our lives will be blessed and we will be prepared to face whatever comes our way. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the teacher. Enlighten the eyes of our understanding. We address every spirit of darkness that would want to prevent this word from reaching the hearts and minds of those within the sound of my voice. And we trust, O God, that this word will go forth and produce that for which it was sent. In the wonderful name of Yeshua. I'm going to be reading from the book of 1 Corinthians, the well-known chapter on love, chapter 13. I'm going to be reading from verse 8 to verse 13. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, that then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. I have preached a sermon very similar to this a few years back, also at the end of the year during the course of festive holidays. And the reason is that this is a very important message to contemplate. I trust that as we spend time on holiday, wherever, we have time to think, to reflect. It's important to reflect, not only on the year past, but on the future. And I'm trusting that these thoughts will help us to do that in a constructive way. The title is Faith, Hope and Love. And what I'd like us to consider is the fact that these remain. You'll see that the whole context of this scripture is things that do fail, but things that don't fail, things that go on forever. And you see, we are involved with eternity. As Christians, we should be cognizant of the fact that things of this earth are temporary, but we are here and our destiny is eternal. Which means that we have to do things now with eternity in mind, for a posterity's sake, etc. We have to understand that we are not limited to this time frame, and we need to think beyond that. Now, the way I like to see this message is the analogy of a train. You and I board a train, and that train runs on tracks. As long as the train is running on the tracks, we are assured that we will get to our destination. 
We can't see our destination. We may not be sure what it's like there. But as long as that train remains on the tracks, we know that we will get there eventually. So you see, this passage of Scripture and the way I would like to approach it here is just like that. There are certain fundamental issues that we need to constantly be reflecting on and in a sense aligning our lives with. In a sense, making sure that the train of our lives is on the right track. You see, well, right tracks, in fact. As you know, a train can't go if there's only one track, unless it's designed to do that. We need two tracks, and if we're dealing with the diesel electric, we also need the pylons overhead, but we'll get into that later on. Now, you see, it mentions, now I know in part. You see, at the moment, we can't see things clearly. But we have enough to get on with. That's my point. We need to make sure that we are rightly understanding these concepts and applying them on a day-to-day basis. Well, let's look at them in a bit of detail. Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three things. But the greatest is love. I'd like to try and explain these terms in very simple language. What are we talking about? How does this affect me in my life? And I'd like to start off with hope. If I'd had anything to do with this letter, I'd have probably written, now abide these, hope, faith, and then love. But obviously God knows better. But to my understanding, when we read about hope in the Bible, as I've said many times before, hope is what we would commonly refer to as vision purpose, generally speaking. In other words, hope is something in the future. And I've said this many times before, but you and I as Christians must have hope. Put in very simple terms, we must have something to look forward to. If we don't have something to look forward to, we become hopeless. You see? For the train of our lives to run efficiently, we must have hope for where we are going. Expectation of something good. Now, you see, we can get very, how shall I say, very philosophical, existential about hope. But very simply, hope is something good to look forward to. It must be something good to look forward to. Otherwise, it's not hope. If you and I are expecting bad things to happen, that is a sure recipe for disaster. But you see, hope is looking forward to something, something concrete, not a vague, wishy-washy, maybe it would be nice. No, biblical hope is reality. Reality that's based on God in the future. Of course, we have the large hope, the great overall hope of being in heaven one day with our Savior, with our loved ones who have gone ahead in wonderful surroundings, which words cannot describe, as Paul tried to explain. It's beyond our understanding, but it's good. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. It's more than all of these things. You see, and we have that hope if we are in Christ. But you see, God doesn't want us just to have hope in the distant by and by. If that were the case, once again, as I've said so very often, why not just put a bullet through your head and get on with it? No. You see, God's designed life 
for this purpose that you and I have hope from day to day. If you want to talk about it in motivational terms, not that I want to be motivational necessarily, motivational speakers will speak of short, long and mid-term vision, you see. But if you look at the cycle of life, God designed for a man to get up every day, go to work, come home, you see. What does that mean? You see, the whole world was designed on a pattern of seasons and time. And those seasons are short, long and medium. We have short-term hope. It was God's plan for you and I to have a home that during the day we can look forward to coming home to. You see, intended us to have employment that we could look forward to getting up to go to. You see, the cycle of life every day is filled with enjoyment, hope. And we need to build that into our lives. You and I need to have things every day to look forward to. It might seem artificial, but it's not really. We might enjoy a walk every day or something that you enjoy doing every day. You see, it's important to build that into our lives so we have something in the short term to look forward to. It's very important. Of course, it's also very important to have hope for the midterm in the sense of we must know what we have to be doing. And ultimately, our great hope in this life is the purpose that we are here for spoken about so many times. What is our calling? Where are we going? What are we here to do for God? You see? And if we can put all of these things together, it keeps us on the right track. If we know more or less what God wants us to do, what we call to do to achieve ultimately, and let me just say this, a call from God will thrill you on my soul. It won't be a drudgery. It won't be, oh no, do I have to do that, God? No, no, not at all. You see, God's made us for what he's called us to do. We are designed for that purpose. And you see, when you and I tap into that purpose, and please, we've got to be so careful not to put God into a box, not to think, oh well, because now I've got to go into the ministry, I have to follow a certain path. Let me tell you, serving God, the ministry, is so wide open so available to every single calling, gifting, ability, that every one of us, when we find our place, will really be able to excel. So you see, that's important. But along the way, it's important to enjoy day-to-day -day experiences, that time in the morning that you spend with the Lord, that cup of tea when you come home, that evening meal with the family around the table, chatting about the day. Time spent, you see, even during our work hours. It's important to build our work hours around something we enjoy. Now, obviously in life, everything we do is not going to be a bed of roses. We realize that there are challenges, things we have to do that we don't want to do. In fact, it's a truth that sometimes to become what we want to become, we have to do what we don't want to do. But you see, as the saying goes, all work and no play makes Johnny a very boring man. And we've got to learn how to balance this thing out. But the overall purpose is, the overall understanding is, build hope into our lives. Build hope into our lives. From day to day, from week to week. You see, God designed us to work for seven days, as we've also mentioned before, so that we have this hope that at the end of the week we can just spend time with him 
in the house of the Lord, praising him, you see. That should really be a deep-rooted source of great joy that keeps us through the week. It should be. It should be. And we trust that church can do that for us. But you see, that was God's plan. Day to day, enjoying his presence. The end of the week, enjoying his presence. The end of the year, like we do now over Christmas, spending time, time to reflect, something to look forward to. And ultimately, just to see how we are progressing. So I just want to leave it there. There's much more perhaps one could have said about it. But let's build hope into our lives. Let's, this new year coming, let's actively plan to build hope into our lives. Build things into our lives. You see, we need the big things. We need the big picture. Otherwise, we can't enjoy the small things. You and I can enjoy a cup of tea, but if that's all we enjoy, it soon gets pretty monotonous. But if it fits into the big scheme of things, where we've done our work and it's time to just enjoy fellowship maybe with our wife, our husband, or with friends, can you see? The whole point is we need to build hope into our lives. Take that time off, as it were. Involve ourselves with activities that we enjoy. There's place in the kingdom of God for constructive hobbies. I trust that you understand how hope is really an important rail in our lives to keep us on track, keep hope alive. The long term, medium term, short term. God's given us a godly imagination for that very purpose. The sanctified imagination helps us to see how things can be so that we don't get mired just in every day the way things are. Amen. The next thing I need to talk about is the subject which we often discuss, and that is faith. Please, this is something, once again, that we've said so many times before, but needs to be repeated over and over again. As hope can be built into our lives, we must build faith into our lives. But what is faith in this context? You see, hope addresses where we are going. Faith addresses how we're going to get there. The means, if I can call it that. In the world, they say the end justifies the means. That is not the case with the kingdom of heaven. The means will determine the end. And the truth about the things of God, the eternal things of God, they must be built with eternal substance. And that eternal substance is faith. You see, the true call of God and purpose in life, if it is from God, you and I will soon realize that in our own strength it is totally impossible. And that's exactly the way God designed it. I think that's the reason so many people miss their calling. When they just get a whiff of the possibility of what God wants them to do. Something inside us, the natural man says, oh well, that's impossible. That's all right for somebody else, but not me. You see, and that's very dangerous. Because the truth of the matter is there's nothing that God wants us to do that he expects us to do. If you can understand it. Yes, we have our part to play. But ultimately, it's our availability that enables him to do it. If you think of a person like Moses, in the natural, leading a population of over a million people through uninhabited spaces, in the natural, that's just beyond. A bridge too far. But he was available. And there's so many other people. 
you think of Christ as a little boy growing up. Having this understanding that he was sent to save the entire world, not the world in which he lived, but the world to come. For a young man, that thought is overwhelming. But he went on with it, you see. He took it up. My point is this, that you see, you and I have got to realize that God doesn't expect us to be able to do things in our own strength. But he has given us this tool, this tool which is faith. And once we start to understand faith, when we understand what it really is, we grasp the fact that all things are possible. All things are possible because this faith is not of us. It is of God. We have a responsibility to develop it, yes, as we've said so many times. But ultimately, it's God that does it. And you see, we are talking here about things that will remain. If I think of places where there have been tremendous floods and the buildings that weren't that secure don't remain anymore. And that's life for you. Let me tell you something. Let me tell us something. The way it's designed is this. That which is not built securely on faith will not remain. Very often people say that people who teach faith are building castles in the air. Not so. Not so. It's those who are not building their lives on faith that are building castles in the air. We could say a lot about it, but I remember that great evangelist Reinhard Bonker, where he was faced with a tent to accommodate the thousands and millions eventually of people that would flock to his meetings. He was given the opportunity to take out a big loan with the bank. They were happy to do it for him, but he said no. He said no. I'd rather operate out of a shack built on faith than a massive edifice built according to the wisdom of man. You see, you and I need to build our lives on faith. And that's a whole subject on its own. But that's the way to get things done for things of God to last forever. It doesn't mean that you and I don't do anything. Obviously not faith without works is dead. We've talked about this. There's working out. There's a doing on our part. There's hard work. There's effort involved. Sacrifice. All these things. But you see, those things, when they're combined with faith, produce eternal results. And once again, this is a time to consider your and my activities. Are we building our castle on what God's word has said and putting that word into practice? So you see, we've got hope. They work together, you see. You can't have faith if you've got nothing to attach it to. Hope is, the, as it were, the hook that she and I attach our faith to. And so you see, we've got this hope. We're working on our faith, working out our salvation. However, there's another ingredient. I mentioned a train at the beginning, the train track. There are two tracks. But if you're talking about diesel electric, which most trains were at one stage, the tracks are important. But more important than that was the cable overhead from which the train could draw current to drive it. You see? And the tracks can be perfect, but without that current, that train is going nowhere. And you see... The most important of all these is love, as the Bible says. The greatest of these is love. Now you see, love applied in this context refers to 
Not what we do, not what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. But it answers the question, why? Love has got to be our motivation. You can build a wonderful castle in the air with all the faith in the world. But if you're doing it, in a sense, to prove something, to achieve, once again, that castle, though biblically correct, it's God-inspired, possibly, you are using faith, but you see, so easily, you and I can get off track when it comes to motive. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And you see, this time of reflection, when you and I consider everything that we do, or are doing, or are going to do, let's be brutally honest with ourselves. Why am I doing this? You see, and we have to eventually come to the answer that we're doing this because of love. Primarily love for God. But you see, that has its outworking in love for people. I very often sit on the stairs in our home, very often late at night, and I like to allow the Holy Spirit just to sift my motivation for doing things. I've come to learn something this year, probably more than ever before. You see, as I said, these three all tie up. We've said about purpose in life, it must meet a need. And I'm sure we realize that God's purpose in our lives is not about us, it's about others. Ironically though, as we lose our lives for the sake of others, we are blessed. That's a great lesson to learn. But I've understood that there are many, many needs out there. I'm sure you all are aware of that. Once again, I think, when we contemplate all the needs in our society, even in our homes, it can get overwhelming to the extent that I think a lot of people just throw up their hands and struggle to survive. But you see, in all of those needs, God's looking for people to meet those needs. That's the whole objective of different purposes in lives. But one of the greatest keys for understanding what it is that you and I are called to do one of the greatest methods of discerning is what the Bible speaks of, compassion. On numerous occasions in Christ's life, the Bible says, the word says he was moved with compassion. We spoke about it when we were discussing the widow of Nain. The Lord came to this village of Nain and encounters this funeral procession and he sees this widow torn apart with grief reeling under the impact of this cruel blow that the devil had administered to her, so to speak. And it says that he was moved with compassion. Another occasion was where he just learnt that John had been beheaded. John was probably somebody who understood him as best as anybody could in his day and age. And obviously it struck him badly, hit him badly. He'd say to his disciples, let's just get out of here, I need to recuperate, in a sense. But the multitudes found him. And it says there, he looked upon them, and he was moved with compassion. And despite his weariness, his own personal grief, the power of God flowed through him, and great signs and wonders and miracles of healing, deliverances, took place. It's also evident when he hears about Lazarus' death, 
and he comes upon the scene and he begins to weep. The people thought it was because he loved Lazarus so much. And yes, that is true, but I've come to understand something. You see, we are called to love everybody. There's no doubt. But you and I are not called to meet the needs of everybody. You see. And the way that God indicates to us what need it is that we are supposed to meet is by placing on us, I believe, a supernatural, God-like compassion. In a sense, when we have that compassion well up inside of us, it's an indication from God to do something. You see, our motivation in that situation is right. Personally, I'd love to heal everybody. I'm sure everybody would. It would be so wonderful to go up to a person in a wheelchair, take him by the hand, lift him up, and where's the next one sort of thing? Go to the mortuary, raise everybody from the dead, make everybody happy, close down hospital. You understand all these wonderful things. I'm not saying that it's not possible. But you see, I'm not saying that we have to wait for God to move us with compassion before we do anything. You understand. But I am saying that this is an indication in specific moments. But also, you see, we have to think that what we are involved with, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I love what I'm doing? I love the people I'm doing it for and with? Do you understand? It might not be, so to speak, a great ministry, but just think of a simple domestic worker. If what she does, she does with love in her heart for perhaps the children that she's supporting, sending to school. Do you understand? That's her motivation for it. She may not enjoy I don't think anybody enjoys getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning to catch a train that might not very well work. Taxis, buses, you know the story. But if there's vision for the children, she's trusting God. And there's love in her heart. That will see her through. I've realized that God places that compassion on you and I at individual stages to tell us time for you to do something. I'd just like to close this message with a little anecdote from this year. I collect anecdotes. I collect fond memories. And I love to, especially at this time, just dig them all up and enjoy them again. Times in the services where God's touched people. Time with ministry opportunities where God's moved. Etc, etc. It's a wonderful thing to do. Great moments in our year and in our lives. Are worth storing. But I have one fond memory that I'd like to just share. This year, Janet and I spent a bit of time at Sharon's school, Little Einstein's. And those children, if you just see them for a little bit of time now and then, are adorable. <laughs> you really have to have the compassion of God to clean their bottoms, wipe their noses, 
etc., etc., every single day. So we admire her teachers, her and her teachers, and every teacher out there doing the same thing. But we pitched up to her school for the first time. And there was this one child that really stands out in my mind. Now please, this is where it gets a bit tricky, because I've learnt long ago, in scenarios where you're dealing with children, the worst thing you and I can do is have any favourites. Especially if that favouritism is based on externals. Well, I came close to that. There was this one child, a little girl called Fiona. Her parents are Taiwanese, and obviously she Asian. But she's the cutest little thing you've ever seen. Anyway, we went on with our proceedings, and uh, I believe in children being hugged. I know in this day and age it's pretty tricky, but that's what I believe. Children need to be held, they need to know God's love. And that, I think, is the main reason that we go there. Anyway, I gave the invitation to the children. I said, I need a hug. And at first, they were a bit hesitant because this is a strange being in their midst. But they soon warmed up. What really melted my heart was when this little girl came running towards me with her arms outstretched. That was a wonderful hug. Afterwards, I was able to chat to her. and She told me about her brother and her sister. <laughs> Went through all the colours of the rainbow, all the animals on the chart. We had a fine time. And afterwards, I just was concerned that maybe I was showing favouritism to someone just because they look so cute. But please don't get me wrong. They all... Beautiful, every single one of those children. And they all gave me a hug. In fact, it became quite tricky because we'd have a, a big hug and I'd almost get run over. But anyway, I was considering this whole scenario and I was wondering, Lord, is this bordering on favoritism? I don't want it. But then Sharon mentioned something which I realized, put the whole thing in context for me, and I understood it. It gave me peace. You see, most of the children that go to that school are from Christian backgrounds, one way or the other. Many of them have beautiful, godly parents filled with the Spirit of God. We had the privilege of meeting with many of them. But you see, this little girl comes from a family from Taiwan, we met the parents as well, wonderful, wonderful people. Their religion is Buddhist, not Christian. And something struck me. This little child, coming from a Buddhist background, would not really know the love of God. I'm not saying that God's love doesn't operate through her parents. They evidently love her dearly. And also the teachers at the school lavish those children all with the love of God. It's so evident, actually. But I wondered, why is it that I was moved? And I realized that possibly for the short time that we would have had contact with her, perhaps she needed that, the love of the Father. Amen. So I'm just trusting that you and I will be blessed 
in this year that lies ahead. Let's consider these three guiding principles. There are things that have to be continually built into our lives. We need to continually bring our lives into alignment with them. Why are we here? What are we doing? Where are we going? It's so important. As many of you know, this church is dedicated to help people find their core. Also, let's develop our faith. Make sure that what we are building is built on biblical faith, not just our striving and our own human ability. But most important of all, every stage, let us ask ourselves this question. Why am I doing what I am doing? Am I doing it to prove to everybody or to myself what a person I am? Am I trying to make a name for myself? Am I trying to impress others? Am I trying to build up a worldly fortune just for myself? Why am I doing these things? Why are we doing these things? Let's make sure that we do these things because of love. Primarily love for the Father and for His kingdom, but by extension, love for His people, love for one another. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Be blessed in the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen.